Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. I am uh, Dan. I'm one of the pastors here at First Baptist. Uh, the first thing I just want to say is from me and my family, which is a thank you to you all for all the love that you guys uh, demonstrated through your time and through your gifts as we moved to St. John's this past couple of weeks. So just thank you so much. Um, just really overwhelmed with your guys' generosity with us. So thank you so much for that. My second announcement is today is the last day to sign up for the Bible Institute class. So if you are going to do that, please do that. And then my third announcement is we have one more library video uh, that we will be showing after announcements here. And so I will pray, we will watch that, and we will worship together as a family. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you this morning for who you are for your mercy and your grace, for the way that you've loved us. God, we thank you for this body, this group of people who you have brought together to build each other up, to worship you, to grow in the knowledge and love of your son, Jesus. I pray this morning that our hearts would be humble and would submit to your word and that we would be willing to Put aside those distractions in our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. This is Kendall Dara, your church librarian again. This morning I'd like to remind you about Pastor Tim's monthly book recommendations and let you know how you can borrow many of them from your church library. Nearly every month for the last 10 years, Pastor Tim has been recommending a book to the congregation that he has found worth reading. Many of these books are in the church library. A few years ago, we decided to work together to make it easier for you to find these books and to read them for free through the church library. And 2021 is a new year. Pastor Tim will be making new recommendations and we will be putting them in the library for you. You can easily find Pastor Tim's book recommendations in the library catalog. 
On the catalog homepage, click on the little triangle that is pointing down. When Advanced Search appears, click on that. Next, you will find yourself on the Advanced Search page. If you click on the box next to the word Collection, the list of all the collections in the library appears. Click on Pastor's Book of the Month recommendation. Then, click on the Search button at the bottom of the page. You will see a list of all the items Pastor Tim has recommended that are in the library. Explore the titles. When you're ready to order something, click on the button labeled Click Here to request this item. The email request form will open. Just fill it out and press Submit. I try to prepare orders on Friday mornings. Please remember to pick items up by 9.15 on Sundays or let me know on your request form if you need to make other plans. I hope you'll have a chance soon to check out Pastor Tim's monthly recommendations. He picks really good books. Thanks again for your time. Well, now Pastor Tim can add picks really good books to his resume. Thank you for those videos, Kendall. Let's stand to our feet together this morning as we sing Blessed Assurance. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his
lost in the love of Christ because it is a magnificent, marvelous, and matchless love. Magnificent, marvelous, matchless love, too vast and astounding to tell. Forever existing in worlds above, now offered and given to all. O fountain of beauty eternal, the Father, the Spirit, the Son, sufficient and endlessly
Amen. The last song we're going to sing together this morning is Jesus, Only Jesus. Who has the power to raise the dead? Who can save us from our sin? He is our hope, our righteousness. Jesus, only Jesus. Who can make the blind see? Who holds the key? Jesus, only Jesus, you stand alone, we stand amazed. Let's continue to worship. Father, we come before you this morning rejoicing that you've brought us to this place. 
rejoicing that you've brought us to yourself through Jesus. Father, we need you this morning. We want to know you more. We want to learn how you want us to live. We want to worship you. We want to know you. Jesus is, or Tim has titled the message this morning from John, Is This Man Really the Christ? Oh Lord, an all-important question. A question that you've settled in most of our minds this morning. Those of us who have gathered, we long to know more about this Messiah, this Jesus who is the Christ. We recognize that there may be some here this morning who are not sure how to answer that question yet. And so we ask that you would use your word in their hearts by your spirit, convict them of this truth using Tim's, your servant's words to open up the word to us. I pray that you would help us to recognize who this Jesus is. This Jesus who earlier in this book of John it's talked about how he meets the woman at the well, and she begins to want to know more. And she says, oh, oh, when the Messiah comes, he will explain all things to us. And Jesus in front of her says, I am the one, the one you are speaking of, the one you are speaking to is the one you're looking for. A bit later, Jesus walks on water to his troubled and afraid disciples in a storm on the Sea of Galilee. And they're terrified when they see him coming. And he says, fear not, I am. Saying to them, I am the Messiah, I am the Christ, I am the ever-living one. And then he claims many more times, I am the bread of life. I am all you need for sustenance. I am the one who provides eternal life. Take from me and you will live. This is the Jesus who is the creator of the earth. The one who is our savior. The one who is called the righteous judge. He is our redeemer. The great I am. The son of, or the lion of Judah. He is our rock. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, we worship you through your Son this morning, and we want to hear from you. We want to learn from you. We want to be comforted. We need to be rebuked. We need to be corrected. Use your word and your servant this morning, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, John. Well, this morning we're going to continue in the Gospel of John. So if you have a Bible with you, um, you can turn to John chapter 7, verses 25 through 36. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the underneath the chairs in front of you that you could use. 
So John chapter 7, verses 25 through 36 will be the passage of Scripture that we will be looking at. Last week, we looked at verses 14 through 24, and we see clearly that the context here is that Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, one of the three great feasts that the Jews would come to Jerusalem for. There were probably thousands and thousands of Jews in Jerusalem at this time and Jesus is teaching in the temple courts and they marvel at him saying how is it how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied he has never studied under the great rabbis he doesn't quote the great rabbis from the past so how can he have all of this learning and Jesus tells them such a key to uh, the gospel of John my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. My teaching is from the Father. And he rebukes them because he says, you claim to follow the law and keep the law to honor the law of Moses, but you are seeking to kill me. And the crowd answered, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you. And so they denied the reality of what they really knew. They were seeking to kill him. And that brings us to our passage this morning. And this is what we read. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed, as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. And the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me, and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? Two very simple points this morning. The first point is the people's confusion, and the second point is the great warning. And so our first point this morning is the people's confusion. As Jesus speaks at the temple in Jerusalem, the people are confused about who he is and where he comes from. In verse 25, so interesting, it says, Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? That was common knowledge. They were seeking to kill him. And yet, when you go back 
um, to last week, in the end of verse 19, Jesus says, why do you seek to kill me? And the crowd answered, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you. And so they were lying. They knew that the authorities were trying to kill Jesus, and it is evident here that the crowd knew this. And this is the atmosphere. This is kind of the, um, the textual context in which all of this takes place. They want to not only arrest Jesus, but to kill him. And in verse 26, it says, And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? And so there is this murmuring going on among the people. They're talking about this Jesus, this rabbi who's speaking in the temple. And you think of a day when there was no social media there wasn't newspapers. Almost everything was done orally. It was done verbally. And word had gotten around about this great teacher, Jesus. And people are so curious about him. And they knew that the authorities wanted to kill him. And yet, here he is, speaking openly. And they say nothing to him. They weren't stopping him. Can it be? This is the word that was going through the crowd. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? Is that a possibility that the reason they aren't stopping him is because he might be the Messiah, that he might be the Christ? But then in verse 27, it says this. And remember, Verse 25, some of the people, some of the people are saying this. Verse 27, but we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. He can't be the Messiah, can he? Because we know where he comes from. And when the Christ comes, no one will know where he comes from. Now this is kind of there, if you've been with us through the Gospel of John, and this is true in the other three Gospels as well. This was kind of their go-to argument. How can he possibly be the Messiah? Because we know where he comes from. We know who his mother and father are. We know who his brothers and sisters are. In Matthew chapter 13, in verses 54 through 56, it says this, And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Now watch what they say. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are, and are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? He can't be the Messiah because we know who his parents are. We know who his brothers and sisters are. We know where he comes from. And in saying that, they are wrong. There was this very prevalent, here's the historical context in addition to the biblical context. There was this very prevalent misconception among the Jewish people at this particular time in the first century. And that misconception was that when Messiah comes, he will suddenly appear in the temple and no one will know who his family is and no one will know where he comes from. 
And so the people are saying, this can't be the Messiah because we know where he comes from. But they misunderstood, misquoted the scriptures. The scriptures never say that. That was just this common understanding and mis, uh, misconception that they had at this time because the Bible in the Old Testament, the prophets clearly said that when Messiah would be born, we know where he'll be born. In Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, we know that it says that the coming one, the Messiah, will be born in Bethlehem Ephrathah, a specific Bethlehem, because there were a number of Bethlehems. But in Bethlehem Ephrathah, that's where the Messiah would be born. When the wise men come to King Herod, and they said, where is he who was born king of the Jews? Do you remember what, Her what Herod did? He went to the scribes and the teachers of the law, he goes to them to find out where the Messiah is going to be born. And you know what they do? You know what the scribes and teachers of the law do? They refer him to the Old Testament prophet Micah or their scriptures at that time that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And these people could have gone to the public records of the day and found out that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. In addition to that, in Matthew chapter 2, in verse 23, it says of Jesus, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. Now watch this. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. The prophets had said when, when the Messiah comes, he will be born in Bethlehem and he will come from Nazareth. Jesus was born in Bethlehem and he is called what? Jesus of Nazareth because that's where he grew up and yet they're saying when Messiah comes we won't know where he comes from. Yes you would know where he comes from. So they're misquoting and misunderstanding the scriptures and so in verses 28 and 29 Jesus proclaims something that he's been proclaiming in John chapter 5 and John chapter 6 and now again in John chapter 7 because it's at the heart and soul of his ministry and message. It says, so Jesus proclaimed. Now that word proclaimed there is very important. It means he spoke in a very loud voice. It is said the only time that Jesus ever spoke this loud was when he cried out to the Father on the cross. And so he doesn't just in a calm voice say this, Jesus proclaims loudly as he taught in the temple at the Feast of Booths, at the Feast of Tabernacle, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. Jesus had repeated this over and over again. I come from the Father. My teaching is from the Father because I am one with the Father. I am in perfect unity and perfect harmony. If you've been with us for the gospel, in this study in the Gospel of John, you have heard me say that many times. I have not come of my own accord. He, the Father, who sent me is true in him, the problem here is and has been and will be you do not know him. 
but I know him for I come from him and he sent me. You do know where I come from because the prophet said where I would come from. And I have come from the Father and I teach what the Father has given me to say. Now the Jewish leaders want to arrest Jesus. But they can't because the invisible hand of God is protecting him. This is so interesting here. I mean, he's, they're, they're clear. There may be critics of the Bible who foolishly say that Jesus never claimed to be God. Oh, yes, he did, and the Jewish authorities knew that. And that's what he's claiming here again, as he's been claiming. And so we see in verse 30, so they were seeking to arrest him. So they were seeking to arrest him, but then it says this, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. This is the third time in this chapter we've seen that little phrase, because his hour had not yet come. But they wanted to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. Why? Why? It's because his hour had not yet come. In a few months, not many months down the line, he would be arrested. And he would die. And they would crucify him. But not yet. Not yet. Because his time was, or the time was not right. It was not his time yet. The hour had not yet come. Jesus was being protected by, in the midst of this hostility, what in theology we call the invisible hand of God. That could be not just a sermon, the invisible hand of God, but an entire sermon series. That God, in his providence and sovereignty, is guiding, directing all the events of history. Right now, no matter what you may see on television, no matter what you may read online or in a newspaper, God is behind the scenes directing everything. You may not understand it. It may be confusing to you, but our sovereign God is completely in control. It is our comfort. It is our strength as we go through times like this. And of course, he is guiding the life of the Son of God. He is guiding the life of the Messiah. Nothing will happen to Jesus except in its perfect time. Remember, he goes up to the feast at the perfect time, in the middle of the feast. They can't arrest him yet because the invisible hand of God is protecting him. And know this, the invisible hand of God for you as a believer in Jesus Christ is guiding your life as well. God is doing more things in your life than you will ever ever understand. He is guiding you in ways that are beyond you and thank him for that. Be grateful to him for that and that is what has happened. They wanted to arrest him but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. But that hostility is there and the religious leaders are getting nervous about what's going on. They're nervous about the murmuring that's going on among the people. In verse 31, it says, Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? 
Oh my, some are beginning to believe in him. They're embracing him as Messiah because they say when the Messiah comes, they won't, he couldn't possibly do more miracles and have greater teaching than this man. We saw last week that they marveled at his teaching. Where did this man get this learning from? And some are starting to believe. Now it says, yet many of the people believed in him. Now it could be that some of them were insincere. It might possibly be that, but I think some were very sincere. People were coming to know him as Savior as he teaches in the temple at the Feast of Tabernacle, at the Feast of Booths. And this really upsets the Jewish authorities. And look at verse 32. It says, The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. And the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Notice, the Pharisees heard, interesting in the ESV, the muttering. They heard the murmuring. They heard the talk going around at the temple in Jerusalem. People were saying things about him. Remember what it, remember what it said in verse 26. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? Can it be that they think he really is the Messiah? Verse 31, yet many of the people believed in him. And so there is, I think there is this sense of urgency, this sense of panic on the part of the authorities because of what is happening with Jesus. Well, that brings us to our second point this morning, and our second point is the great warning. It is in this context, it is with this background that Jesus gives one of the great warnings found in all of Scripture. Jesus warns the Jewish leaders specifically and the people generally that one day they will seek him, but they will not find him. Very important part of this passage interesting words of Jesus verses 33 and 34 Jesus then said I will be with you a little longer and then I am going to him who sent me you will seek me and you will not find me where I am you cannot come and the great warning is that first sentence of verse 34 you will seek me and you will not find me. Jesus says, I'll be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. This is a reference to the cross. I'm going to be teaching for a while longer. I'm going to be with you for a while longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. He's clearly said that the one who sent him is the Father, so Jesus is going to be crucified. He's going to rise from the dead, He's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. So his time with them is limited. His time with them has an end point. He's going to die. He's going to rise again. He's going to be seated at the right hand of the Father at the highest place of authority in the universe. I'm going to him who sent me. And then, then you will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. You will seek me, and you will not find me. This kind of has a twofold meaning. One is, when I'm gone, you won't be able to find me anymore. I won't be teaching in the temple. 
I won't be teaching anywhere. I will be at my rightful place in heaven. But it also has this important thought. And this is the great warning. A time is coming when you are going to die and your time will be up. The time to seek me is now. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the chosen one. I am the Savior. I am with you. And the time to decide for me is right now. The time to make a decision about me is right now. In the pillar New Testament commentary, which is considered one of the better commentaries out there on the Gospel of John, it's edited by Don Carson. Don Carson considered to be one of the best New Testament scholars in the world right now. But in that commentary, it says it is implicit, implicit in verse 34, that one day they were going to die in their sins and their time would be up. They will seek him, but they will no longer find him because they have this time frame. And if they don't make a decision within this time frame, then their time will be up. You will seek me and you will not Find me where I am, you cannot come. Well, the Jews are obviously puzzled by this. And they do, as they almost always do with Jesus, they take a spiritual, eternal truth and think about it only in a secular, earthly, fleshly way. So they take this eternal, supernatural truth and they only think about it with their secular minds and with their secular eyes. And so in verse 35, it says, The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? So they completely miss what Jesus is saying. Where is he going to go that we won't find him? Is he going to go to the dispersion? Now, to understand that there were the Jews in Israel, the Jewish people, of course, in Jerusalem, but outside of Israel, there had been a dispersion over the years, over the centuries, actually, of some of the Jewish people who were living in other parts of the Roman Empire. Some of them were living among the Greeks. Is he going to go outside of Israel? Is he going to go uh, live among the dispersed Jews and teach the Greeks also and so we won't be able to find him because he's going to go far away now watch verse 36 what does he mean what does he mean by saying you will seek me and you will not find me and where I am you cannot come oh Jesus is extending grace to you he's extending grace to them and they're missing it. They're missing it. And that brings us to our final thought this morning. The great warning of Jesus applies to all of us. Because the, the time to decide for him or against him is always now. Let me say that again. The time to decide for Jesus, for him or against him, is always now. It always is. Right now. Because a time will come when you will seek me and you will not find me. When you die, 
your time to receive Christ as Savior will be up. And we never know when we're going to die. We never know when we're going to die. And yet subtly, there is this subtly, I think it's part of the fall of man, part of our sinful nature that we just think time is going to go on. I've got all kinds of time. And I think this refers here to two categories of people, to those who have rejected him outright and perhaps more importantly to those who just aren't ready to make a decision. I'll wait. And they've been putting it off and they've been putting it off and they've been putting it off. And here's what we think. Let's say that there's someone, man or woman, 40 years old, and they've, they've been presented with the claims of the gospel and they think, you know, I'm just not sure. I'm just not ready. I'll do it someday. And they're thinking in their minds, you know, I'll, maybe I'll do it in my 50s, maybe I'll do it in my 60s, maybe I'll do it in my 70s. Someday, someday. And that's the foolishness of our minds because we never know when we're going to die. You may not live to your 50s. You may not be alive in your 60s or your 70s. You don't know. We see examples of this all around us every single day of people dying suddenly. We never know. When we die, our time will be up, and we never know when we are going to die. This is the great warning of Scripture. It is throughout the Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. The time to decide for God, the time to receive Christ as Savior is always now because we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul makes a fascinating statement. He says, I appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. I appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. It doesn't mean you've received Christ as Savior. It means God is extending his grace to you. He is welcoming you to come to him with open arms. He is saying, come to me, come to me. Don't receive his grace in vain. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, the very next verse, it says of God, for he says, for he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Now is the time to make a decision. The favorable time to do it is now. Now is the day of salvation. We see this so clearly in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 6, maybe a verse that you've memorized. God says, or excuse me, the prophet says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. That's exactly what Jesus is saying in verse 34. You will seek me and you will not find me. Isaiah 55, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Whether it is you or someone you know, the time is always now. The time to receive Jesus. The time to bow your head, to repent of your sin and to ask Christ to come into your life to receive him as Savior and Lord. The best time to do it 
is right now. It is always today. The time to decide for Jesus, for him or against him, is always now. Let's pray together. Father, help us. Help us to see the urgency of the gospel. Jesus has clearly presented himself as the Savior of the world. He has clearly presented himself. And we must make a decision for him or against him. Lord, I pray that if there are any within the hearing of this message, that they would come to Jesus now. For we pray in his name. Amen. The time is now, and if you would like to talk to us about trusting Christ as your Savior, we'd be happy to meet with you and to set up a time where we can talk. But for those of us who know Christ, let's stand together and sing as we close to proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah. He became sin.